Welcome to Sounds Erotic, the voices of erotica. Allow me to tell you a little about the show. Sounds Erotic is a weekly podcast that introduces you to the most unique, interesting, and successful people in erotica. We will explore topics that you might never have considered and introduce you to forms of erotica that pique more than just your interest. Leading you on this journey will be me. Who am I? My name is Alex Anders, and as an erotica author, I have published more than 40 titles. My stories have been translated into German, Spanish, French, and you can find a lot of them as audiobooks narrated by yours truly. I have always been drawn to all forms of sex, so I have written stories for both men and women, whether you are straight, gay, or bi. All of my stories can be found at alexandersbooks.com, and I look forward to you checking it out. But that's enough about me. More importantly, I am very pleased today to have as my guest, best-selling erotica author, and my own personal inspiration, Carl East. Welcome, Carl. Hi, Alex. I'm very glad that you could join me today. I, I have to say that you are one of my inspirations in getting into erotica. It was because I was following you on Kindle boards and you shared so generously your sales numbers and your experiences that I decided to take a chance with this. Well, it's nice to know that um, someone's been listening. <laughs> <laughs> and for all of our uh, forum group that's listening, I'm sure we're all chuckling because we all listen to Carl because he is like he's like the godfather for us. <laughs> <laughs> so before I ask any big questions, I have to ask you the obvious question. What do you like most about sex? What do I like most about sex? Uh... I remember listening to Selena's answer to this one, <laughs> and you put me on the spot as well, because um, what's not to like about sex? <laughs> I mean, that's all I need to say about that subject, to be honest. <laughs> okay. So where are you from? England originally, um, but I used to live in a, a town called Northampton, about 55 miles south of London. And what did your parents do growing up? Uh, my mother was just a housewife. She had seven kids to look after, but my father was a hairdresser. And were books important to your family? Uh, no, not really. In fact, the only person I can remember reading was my mother. She used to be hooked on murder mysteries, but I didn't read much as a kid. What was the first book that you remember having any sort of influence on you? That came from my um, favorite author, Piers Anthony. The book was called On a Pale Horse and was the first in the Incarnation series. I remember wanting to write stories like that, mainly because they were fun and enjoyable reads. What genre was it? It was um, magic, fantasy. Was it like a kid's book or was it more of an adult's book? It was more of an adult's book, yeah. It was more a late teens adult book. And what was it about the story that really captured you? It was the imagination used within the story. It was about the Reaper person who collects souls it was just imaginative and i like writing stories like that myself so that's what caught me and when you were a kid what did you imagine your grandest dream would be for yourself i think wishing my parents would get a break now and again as they struggled to bring us up i mean it was it was hard for them for seven kids you know um, but i have to say they did a great job and for yourself in terms of your career or what you'd be doing with your life a grandish dream for me, I think just being happy, you know. Uh, I've never had big dreams. I, I just, my biggest dream was wanting to retire. And that's now happened for me. So that's come true. 
but you didn't have a desire of how you would retire or you know oh, what no. you'd be doing when you would I never in my wildest dreams thought I'd be retiring through the writing of my books that was a complete surprise to me that was so what did you decide to do when you you know graduated high school or when I left school I was in mundane jobs I was all over the place I worked in factories warehouses and always minimum wage places you know and I hated I hated work it, it just bored the hell out of me you know so I didn't have any skills, so I couldn't get the jobs that paid the big money, you know? Right. What was your worst job? Uh, that had to be the factory work. I used to work on huge, huge presses, you know, and the work was so mundane. It was mind-bogglingly mind -bogglingly boring, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and it used to do that for eight hours a day for 40 hours a week, you know? I'd go home feeling numbed from all the boredom, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, though I hated those jobs in my life. I really did. So when did you decide to start explore writing in general? I've always written stories since I was a kid. I could take any subject. It doesn't matter what it was, and I could write a story about it. And I used to enjoy getting people to give me a subject, any subject they wanted to give me. And I'd write them a two-page story about it. And I was pretty good at doing it, you know. But I never really took my stories seriously back then. I just thought it was fun fun to do you know and i didn't actually start writing seriously until i was in my 40s you know it's an interesting point you tell the story about people giving you a, a word or a subject and you telling a story about it i remember when i was in college mm -hmm. everyone considered me a storyteller because i would start off on some story from anything and i said well actually you know if you can give me any word at all and I can start a story from that word. And my friends looked at me and kind of laughed. I said, no, no, try. And they went, is. And I went on for like three minutes, a story about is. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it's something just about being a born storyteller. This is something that we just do. Well, that reminded me of a... Uh, I challenged one of my bosses to give me a word, and he came up with can of Coke, Coca-Cola. Mm -hmm. So I ended up writing this four-page story about a genie that was in this can of Coke. <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> yeah, so, so that's what I mean. I could write anything, you know, um, and it would always be imaginative. It would never be boring, you know? And how many stories have you written at this point? Well, stories that I would have considered serious, uh, about 140, but I must have gotten rid of at least 30 of them because I didn't think they were good enough. So I've, got, I've left with about 110 now. And when was the first time you wrote a story that you shared with more than just, let's say, the person who gave you the word or your immediate family? Actually, the first real serious story came about when I was, when I was homeless. I was living in a tent in the middle of a field. At the time, e-books didn't even exist, so the thought of writing an erotic book and getting myself out of the mess that depression had put me into wasn't even an option. So I decided to write a fantasy called The Talking Sword with the intention of getting it published and getting back on my feet. Boy, was I naive. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, to cut a long story short, I was homeless for seven months before the council gave me an apartment to live in. I got a job, slowly began to pick myself off the floor, and a couple of years later I met my wife. She'd written to me to thank me for my story, Hell's Gate, and to tell me how much she'd enjoyed it. It was such a sweet email that I was compelled to respond, and um, I thanked her for her kind words. She then wrote back, and, and that's how we started to talk online. One thing led to another, and eventually I asked her to marry me. Um, she'd already come over to England in order for us to meet and stay for a week. And needless to say, I eventually ended up in America, where I've been happy ever since. Then a couple of years after getting married, I found out about ebooks. I discovered Amazon and Smashwords, and I was lucky as I already had a hundred stories to release. 
although they needed to be tidied up a bit before I could release them. I have to go back. So many questions out of that story you just told. Mm-hmm. How did you end up homeless? Oh, that happened through depression. Oh, it's a long story. I was in one of those jobs, the ones I described that I hated. I was a security guard, and um, my wife had left me. Um, I was I was so depressed that I, I one day went home and just decided to give it all up. I left the flat. I left my job. I just walked out. I didn't care what happened to me. And that was the start of a really big depression, and I ended up in a tent. The funny thing about that story is, though, that three weeks afterwards, after I'd recognized what was going on, thanks to the doctor, and he'd give me depression tablets, I was all right again. But the damage had been done by then. You know what I mean? So I was now homeless without a job and living in a tent. (laughs) I can laugh about it now, but back then, you know, if you just said to me a year before it happened that you would be homeless within a year, I'd have laughed at you. You know, because that sort of thing was never going to happen to me. Right. You know, but it did. So. And yet, Carl, another thing we have in common. When I graduated college, my biggest fear was that I would not be able to sustain myself in any way, make enough money to survive. Right. And I moved from, I went to school in Wisconsin, I moved to Toronto. I moved there in the middle of the recession and couldn't find a job. And within six months, I ended up homeless, living in my car, driving around the country, staying at friends' places, mm-hmm. and slept in my car on the turning of my 22nd birthday. So, again, yet another thing in common, homelessness. And, of course, when when you're homeless, I guess your depression led to homelessness. My homelessness led to repression. Right, right. So you wrote Hell's Gate when? I wrote Hell's Gate in the year 2000. That's um, after discovering um, Literotica. In fact, that's when I started to write erotic stories, when I discovered Literotica. I think it took me six months to write Hell's Gate. And I've always thought that that was going to be the best book I ever I ever wrote. And it has turned out that way. It's still my favorite book of all the hundred and something I've written. What's Hell's Gate about? It's about a psychic and a friend who try to cleanse a house of demons. But these demons have a plan to take over the earth and they discover that this house is the Hell's Gate. This is where the demons are going to come from. And they do all they can with their power to stop this from happening. But unfortunately, demons use sex as a weapon (laughs) to both toy and stop people from doing things that they don't want them to do. And that's basically the storyline all the way through, that they're they're being frustrated at every turn by being used sexually in a... um, in a mocking way, if you like. The devil is mocking them more than trying to stop them, you know. But I've had a lot of response from that story, and a lot of people liked it. And as I said, I met my wife because of it, so I'm very happy I wrote it. Well, that's just the dream, to have not only fans, but a fan that you later go on and marry. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So I have to ask, what was it about your now wife's email that captured your attention so much? Because I'm sure, you know, a lot of people write. I wish I'd saved that email now because she she's, she was so sweet, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I very often got emails telling me how sexy my story was, you know, but never going into detail. And she wrote a whole page telling me how much she enjoyed the story. And I thought it was so sweet that it deserved a response, you know. And after responding to her and thanking her for such kind words, she she wrote another page back to me. (laughs) And that's how we started to get talking. And uh, it wasn't long after that before I started to feel for this woman, you know. I thought she was cute. And and we talked for hours, literally hours, on on the telephone. 
and at the time she only had dial-up so we text a lot and then I persuaded her to get broadband and we started talking online again as well using the microphones and we must have talked for I mean some nights we talked for 12 hours straight and we just got on we just clicked you know it was amazing wait you talked for 12 hours straight yeah I remember a time particularly we talked for 12 hours with a couple of breaks in between you know (laughs) (laughs) quite amazing really I have never talked to anyone like that. (laughs) (laughs) I was amazed I had so much to talk about. But we both had a lot in common, you know, and I just knew that this woman was for me, you know. Wow, that's great. So how many stories did you write on Literatica? Oh, over 100. I think that's why I am so successful at the moment, actually, because um, I had so many stories ready to go when the e-book thing happened, you know. And what was the first time that you heard of Kindle or iBookstore? I think it was the year after Amazon started off their um, e-book. I think I was a bit late to the e-book revolution, to be honest, because it was at least six months, if not a year, after it all started. Is that 2009 or is that 2010? I think it was 2009. I'm not very good with dates, but I think it was 2009. I also discovered Smashwords at the same time. So I was able to put my books up on both places. And like I said, I had 100 stories, but they had to be tidied up first. So I managed to get about 30 stories up in the first month and then just carried on getting each one ready and putting them on and on and on until eventually I had over 100 on the sites. You know. But that first month, I always remember the first month's checks from both Amazon and Smashwords. I think it was $50 from um, Amazon and 147 I think, from Smashwords. So I remember thinking to myself, well, that's a nice little bit of pocket money, you know, I'll uh, nice bit of spare change. You know, <laughs> I didn't think it was going to go any further than that. You know, I thought I might make a couple of hundred every month and I'd be happy with that. That's not what happened, of course. How times have changed, huh? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so what do you think is the most creative story that you've written? Most creative story. I think that's got to be Vampire Berserker. Uh, Vampire Berserker was original, even though it's not doing very well and it hasn't ever since it came out. But it was original because it was about a vampire who was allergic to human blood. He later finds out before he's due to die, because the leader of the vampires has told him that he's going to die if he can't drink blood, human blood. He finds out that he can drink vampire blood and survive that way. So he becomes an enemy of vampires, uh, which makes him the hero of the story, you know. And all the way through the book, the vampires are trying to slaughter him because it's it's an anomaly. And I think that's a very original story anyway, but it just didn't take off. Is it still available on Amazon? Oh, yeah, it's it's everywhere. It's it's still available. It's a book, um, and it's only $2.99. But a lot of people say they like it after they've read it, but there's an equal amount that say they don't like it. So uh, what, what can you do? It might be that thing where, well, you know, people love vampire stories, but they just love that specific type. They want Mel and that other guy. They want the romance, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and this has a a couple of sex scenes in it as well, so perhaps that put people off it. I don't know. Who can tell with these things? Yeah, yeah. I I just knew, knew it was original when I released it and thought it would do well, but it didn't. So what can you do? So how do you think your stories have evolved since you started writing for Literatica? When I first started writing for Lit, I would do just sex stories. But now I'm more into paranormal, imaginative stories. I like to entertain the reader as well as excite them, you know? 
Mm-hmm. I, and I get a great deal of pleasure from a, a reader that takes the time to write a, a review for me saying how much they enjoyed the storyline and how exciting the book was. You know, I just think I've achieved something when I hear that kind of comment. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So that's the satisfaction I get from writing my imaginative stories. But I've written non-erotic ones as well, like sword and sorcerer kind of books. They've never done very well, which is sad because I would love to write those kind of stories on a full-time basis. But they just don't sell, so I have to keep turning back to um, erotica. What sells better in terms of a category, your erotica or your other stuff? My erotica sells best. I can't really pick between the paranormal and the normal erotic stories. They seem to sell just as much. I've got one at the moment called The Monster in My Closet. That's paranormal, um, but it's doing very well. It seems to be taking off in a big way over at Barnes & Noble, where I'm selling at least a thousand a month you know <laughs> so that's a lot of books yeah it's a, it's a lot of books when you're talking about just one and you've got a hundred you know you, <laughs> you you're talking a lot of money there you know what i mean so where's your passion is it for the erotica or is it for the paranormal got to be a bit of both really um i've yet to write a paranormal where i haven't put sex in it you know or some kind of romance or whatever in it i, I just like mixing the two together you know what i mean it, it gets the imagination flowing you know Oh, absolutely. I can't separate my normal storytelling, like the things I love about, you know, not humor, but more about adventure and whatnot from my erotica. I always have to bleed something else over because that's just kind of kind of a part of who I am and everything I do. So carries across probably the same thing with you where the sex just carries across. It's a part of your storytelling style. Have you ever tried paranormal? I have. You have? I have. I did a story about a reaper. Oh, yeah. And instead of the reaper taking away things from you like the reaper does, this reaper gave you stuff, but it gave you the thing that you desired most, but would never say because out of fear that it might come true. Mm. Did you do very well? It, not really. <laughs> it's gotten great reviews. Right. I'd write stories about things, about issues, about something that will help a person to look at their life differently. And the people who reviewed it said, you know, it was a great adventure, and more importantly, it it really made me think afterwards, but it never really caught fire. No. And it was because of the fact that that book and my other books, which also got, I got a lot of really great reviews, Mm. but it's because it never became successful that I started looking on Kindle boards at the people who were successful. And one of those people that was successful was you. And (laughs) I found out what you wrote, and at some point I thought, wow, um, this is really starting to hurt me emotionally, the fact that I was releasing, and I was as prolific in my other genres as I am in erotica, and I just kept turning out book after book after book, one or two a month, and they just weren't going anywhere. And I got to a point where I'm like, I have to try something else. I I tried seven genres in the non-erotic field, so maybe uh, erotica was the answer, and it was. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I've been there, done that. I mean, I had a... I had a book called, oh, I thought this book was excellent. And I've had a couple of very good reviews for it, but not many people have downloaded it, so they don't know. But the book itself was called To Hell and Back. It was a non-erotic story. And it was about a man who has the need to know that his parents have gone to heaven after being killed in an accident. But he can't prove conclusively that heaven exists. However, he discovers that he can prove that hell exists mm. by going there. 
And that's the whole premise of the story. He needs to know that his parents have gone to heaven. And he finds out in the end that they have. But it's the journey that the story, you know, it's a pretty good story. I, I, I love that story, but it didn't do any good at all. I sell about one copy a month. That sounds like my story as well. What's the name of that story that you described? To hell and back. They all sound very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I always think I've got a good idea when I start writing them, you know, but they don't always appeal to people, you know? It's such a tricky thing. Erotica uh, versus non erotica. As you know, as I know, it takes more than just it being in the genre of paranormal or sales to pick up. Mm-hmm. You know, it's amazing. I, I struggled for so long trying to get people to notice the book, getting reviews and whatnot. And then I, I came to erotica. And I guess maybe my style of writing plus erotica really worked because from the first book I put out, I had sales. Yeah. And yeah. within the first week, I think I outsold my entire month of my other six books. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Crazy, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I I had a book called My Little Girl's Best Friend, and I sold 4,000 of that, copies of that in one month. I didn't think it was anything special. I liked it. I thought it was well worth publishing, but I didn't think it was one of my better ones. And yeah, so it sold more than any other book of mine, so go figure. What do you think the difference is between a successful erotic writer and a non-successful one? That's a hard question. Uh, Some people want to make it big overnight, and I'm afraid that's never going to happen with erotica. You need at least 30 stories to see a regular check coming in, a check that can pay the bills and keep you happy. Personally, I have over 100 stories now, and I'm earning 100,000 a year with more stories to follow. So I'd, I'd advise anyone to just keep writing and releasing their stories after A, editing them so they are error-free, and B, getting a good cover and writing a good blurb. And all three of these things are very important to um, any book that you release. Do you think that anyone can become a successful erotica writer, or do you think it takes something special? I think just about anyone could do it. Being successful is another thing. They've got to want that dream, you know. They've got to want to keep writing. And it's not for everyone. I've known people, personally friends of mine, who are always talking about getting the next story out. But after a month, they've only got one story going, you know. And it's not in their bones to keep it going. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Then there are others that can write two stories a day. Right. Uh, and they're so worked up about it all, they, they just know they're going to succeed. And that kind of person usually does because they're giving it their all. You know what I mean? Uh, and they're listening to the advice that's out there, like getting the good blurb, getting an editor, which is very important these days. Because if your book is a mess, people will tell you and that will destroy your sales. And that these people need to listen to this advice and take it seriously, you know? Mm-hmm. You know, when I first started writing Erotica, I was very excited about it, and I went to all of my friends that had one point in their life said that they wanted to be a writer or whatever else, and I kept encouraging them, you know, you should write this. This is doing very well for me. I tried all these other genres, and try this. If you do, you can be successful at it. And I was amazed that as passionate as I tried to explain it to them, none of them took me up on it. No. And I think at that point, I started to realize that I think what we do is special. Mm. I think who we are is special in some way because not everyone has the desire to do it, the will, that certain something that pushes you over the edge and and makes you go all out. Yeah, there are a lot of people that can't write erotica. It's because they just can't seem to put the words together to explain it in graphic detail. To them, it's 
oh no, I can't, I can't write that. Oh no, no, I'll have to put it in another way, and and, and it ends up coming out sweetie. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. And they just can't write it, you know, but they can read it. Right. There's probably also something psychological going on there, where yeah, you know. Yeah. I was watching a television show recently called Charlie Rose, and they were he had on a researcher who specialized in neurology, and he focused on the creative process. Charlie Rose asked the question, why are jazz musicians the way they are, where they can improvise so much? And he said that they put them into a, a brain scan machine and found out that jazz musicians shut down a part of their brain when they go into improvisation. Mm-hmm. And that part of the brain is the inhibiting part of the brain. And his research showed that very creative people have the ability to shut off that part of their brain and just work uninhibited. Mm-hmm. And I have to assume that writers, and especially erotica writers, have that ability to just go, you know what, this is taboo. I have been probably taught my entire life not to talk about this, not to think about this, but yet erotica writers can go, switch off i'm going to just do and enjoy i find i can do that myself when i'm in the zone i can write a five thousand word story uh within four hours oh my goodness <laughs> i thought you're gonna say in a day but four hours okay when i'm in the zone i can do that because it's just flowing you know what i mean right and nothing outside is being noticed by me do you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. so yeah it is a creative process and not everyone has that creative process I'm not sure if I've ever entered the flow like that. I'm not a fast writer. No. I think my strength is that I'm devoted. So I can write up to 9,000 words in a day, not in five hours. I can write 9,000 words, but I will work. I will literally write 13 hours a day. Right. I will just sit down and not give up until it's done. Incidentally, when I say I could write uh, a 5,000-word story in four hours, it would take longer than that just to edit it all. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> Be right, you know what I mean? Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's a day-long process no matter what. Yeah, exactly, yeah. So what do you think is the biggest risk you've taken with your writing? Uh, that has to be um, a certain genre that is only popular with a small percentage of readers. And the genre in question is incest. I wrote at least 20 of them, and they were very popular. In fact, some of them were my bestsellers. However, when Amazon suddenly decided to ban all incest stories, I had to change them into stories that they would accept. And I did that by changing the main characters into people who were not related to anyone in the story, at least by blood. But the thing is about these type of stories, though, is that they are fictional. There is not a single word of truth about any of them. Yet people who are disgusted by this type of tale ignore that fact. And these same people are more than happy to read about some guy who likes to cut up his victims and send the part through the post to taunt the police. It all makes you wonder what kind of society we live in, really. Isn't that amazing? I find it so interesting that graphic violence is so prevalent in stories in movies and whatnot. Yeah. And acceptable and right. If you put the most gory thing on television, it's it's fine. It won't have to be censored. But if you put anything too sexual on television, whereas sex is a natural part of who we are as human beings, <laughs> I know it becomes censored. Yeah, I mean, sex is second nature. It's something we all like, something we all enjoy, and something we all do. And yeah, it's hidden. It's weird. How different is England than America? Because I know it's much more liberal in terms of what you can see on television and what can be said on television in the UK. Um, it's pretty much the same, really. 
if anything, we're a little bit more open than the Americans. We have newspapers, for instance, that have got bare-chested women in the, on the first page, you know. So we're allowed to do that, whereas over here that would be in a witch hunt. If, <laughs> right. If anything like that was happening, you know. But it's pretty much the same. It's not much different. Is the attitude towards erotica different or the same? It's pretty much the same as well, yeah. They've probably read a lot more of it than this, uh, than people over here. But Why do you think that is? They're open-minded. They're very open-minded. But as far as censorship is concerned, it's pretty much the same over there as it is over here. So, What are they more open-minded about? The whole sex thing. They don't make such a fuss about it like they do over here. I mean, the, this recent PayPal thing, for instance, it's just a lot of nonsense. A bank shouldn't be responsible, shouldn't have any say, in fact, in what we write, as long as it's legal. Right. You know, the fact that a bank could come along and actually disrupt people's lives and bring down businesses is just wrong when all they're doing is taking stories away that are legally okay to write. It's just wrong, and they should have nothing to do with it. Talking of controversy, what was the controversy? Set the scene, let us know when it was, the controversy that went on with you and Apple. Uh, I was getting so big that my stories were beginning to appear on the front page of iBooks. In fact, I had three in the top ten, and one of them was number one. So Apple... Uh, in their infinite wisdom, decided to hide all erotic stories away. In effect, this meant the reader had to either search for the title of the books or the author's name. Needless to say, my sales suffered because of it, but it did all come back again a little later. I do believe, though, that I'd be earning a lot more today if that had never happened. How many books were you selling back as number one on the iBooks list? <laughs> uh, I can't give you a, a figure for that because Apple won't tell us. I've asked Smashwords to ask them how many of a certain book I've sold, and they won't give the information just Smashwords, so I can't find out how many it was I sold. I mean, I've got a book at the moment. It's a free book. It's called Short Erotic Tales, and it's been downloaded 75,000 times. It's a free one. Right. And that's just from Smashwords. And it's been free for as long as that over at Apple. So God knows how many they've downloaded from there. It must be in the it must be in the thousands by now. Right. But they won't tell me. I'm dying to know how many has been <laughs> downloaded, but they won't tell me. It's so frustrating. But Apple otherwise, other than the fact that they took all of Erotica off the front page, has been good to you. Oh, very good to me. Yeah. I mean I always remember my second quarterly check. Remember I told you I had $147 for my first quarterly check from Smashwords? Mm. Well, the next one was $10,000. I held that in my hands. I must have held that for 30 minutes just looking at it, you know. I couldn't believe I was earning so much money from writing erotic stories. Was that the largest check you ever held in your hand? Oh, no, I've had bigger ones since then, but that was the largest check up until that point, yeah. That is incredibly impressive. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you get from writing a new story? Well, if it's a paranormal one, I like to read the reviews to see if I made them happy with their purchase, and of course whether or not I excited them. After all this time, that still gives me a thrill. And I'd be lying if I said the money wasn't good. It is good. It's nice to have money. But the thing that makes me happier more than anything else is the fact that I could retire because of my writing. I, I could be earning 2000 a month, which I didn't earn at work, and I'd still be happy as I am now because I'm retired. Mm. And when you say retired, does that mean retired from writing or just retired from everything else? I don't actually in include 
writing as a job. <laughs> it's more of a pleasure for me, you know, and I, now that I've got over 100 stories out there, I don't rush my writing. I, I take my time. In fact, I haven't released a story for over a month, although I've got four almost ready to go. But I did it in my own time, and I enjoy doing it, so I don't really count that as a job. What are the stories that are coming up about? They're actually all paranormal. One's The Monster in My Closet 2. One's The House on the Hill 2. They're just follow-up servers too. Uh, what's the other one? I've got a brand new one coming up soon called Dr. Jettle and Ms. Hyde. And the story behind that is that after he's taken the serum, he's, uh, elixir rather, he's found out that he changes into a woman. <laughs> <laughs> and, that's, and that's given me a good story to tell. So that's just finished, but it needs editing yet. So that's going to be a week or so before that's out. And I know that when I write, I found with my erotica that my characters... They might be from different places in the world. They might be going through different situations. But there's something psychological about them that's true for all of them. They all desire the same thing. Are there any characteristics that carry over through all of your characters? There is one thing that I seem to have a trend to do, and that's to make my characters likable. And I like to think I'm likable. You know, I like to think I'm a nice guy. But that's the one thing that does come across in my books. All my characters are likable, and you actually are rooting for them. You know what I mean? <laughs> Mm-hmm. in most cases so yeah yeah I, I think and I've always liked good endings I hate a bad ending to any story I will stay clear of that you know if I've built up a character say that is likable I won't kill that character off because I don't want people to read that and think oh no I didn't like the ending because I've seen films like that where I, I've enjoyed the movie but hated the ending uh, so much that I didn't want to watch the movie again you know what I mean mm-hmm and I think it's the same for writing. If you didn't like the ending of a story, I don't think you want to read it again, you know? Right. When you say they're likable, is the male character likable or the female character? or Both. Both. Unless there's a villain in it, of course, and then I try to make him as unlikable as possible, you know? But <laughs> <laughs> so who do you think has had the biggest influence on your writing? Probably Piers Anthony. He's my favorite author, and I've wanted to emulate him so many times where my fantasy work's concerned and my paranormal work's concerned and I believe he actually started in erotica himself for uh, writing stories for magazines like Playboy I believe that's correct don't quote me there (laughs) 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 but yeah he's been a big influence in my life he's such a talented writer and when you stop writing what do you want to be known for that's the thing about books isn't it they live forever I think I'd like to be remembered as someone who had the ability to excite the reader. An honest person who doesn't want to offend anyone with his writing. He simply wants to entertain. That's what I want to be remembered for. And what are you most proud of of your work? I think I'm most proud of it'll be read by so many people and because I am able to retire. That alone meant more to me than all the money I've earned. What does your family think of your success? Uh, My family don't know about my writing because they all live in England and I don't talk to them anymore, so... Uh, we had a bit of a falling out many years ago, and I haven't been back since, so I've been over in America now for almost seven years, you see. What do you think they would say about your success? They'd probably be open-minded about it, actually. They'd probably cheer me on. So let's talk about audiobooks. Because, hmm. of course, I do this. I was an actor for a long time. The first person that I ever saw mention audiobooks as an author mm-hmm. was you. All <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. And I proceeded to stalk you. Um, from the moment you first posted a thread saying you're trying audiobooks to figure out what they were like. Why did you decide to dip your feet into audiobooks? I thought it was a natural progression, actually. Um, Believe it or not, I'd like to see my books turn into movies. (laughs) That's 
I don't think that'll ever happen, but I thought it was a natural progression. Oh, you uh, never know. Well, it's true. Some entrepreneur out there wants to grab these short stat tales and make them into movies as well. They could make a lot of money, but, you know, it's going to take money to invest. You know what I mean? Well, quick side note. One of the people I'm hoping to interview coming up soon is an author by the name of Zane. And she writes erotica tales. And one of her books, Zane's Sexual Chronicles or something like that, mm. was turned into a television show on Cinemax. All right. <laughs> so you never know. If someone ever gets the idea of turning thousands of these short erotic tales into movies, so that when you go and search for these books, you can see the book, the audio, and the movie, they'll make a fortune. They really will. <laughs> but of course, you wouldn't see them on Amazon, you know what I mean? They probably wouldn't be allowed on Amazon, unless they were actually just blue movies where there was no physical sex, you know what I mean? But then that wouldn't work, then that would defeat the purpose, you know what I mean? Well, but do you have other stories? You have stories that are paranormal that have sex, but movies have sex. So yeah, yeah, I think that makes it a little easier. <laughs> yeah. How many um, audiobooks have you got released, though? I have 14 at this point, 14 short stories. So I know that you release compilations and your longer stories, but because of the way it's structured, I went through ACX and it just became, I guess, smarter financially for me to release each individual story and allow the listener to choose a la carte. Mm -hmm. I only have six books out at the moment. Uh, they are Hot Tales of Lust, Hot Tales of Lust 2, Hell's Gate, The Talking Sword, the Haunted House and Paranormal Encounters. But I have another one on the way called Gangbang Stories, which I'm sure the fans will like. How many stories are included? Uh, in the Gangbang Stories, I think there's about nine, I think. That's great. Mm, yeah, so um, I'm looking forward to that. But unlike you, I didn't get this PCX thing until Gangbang Stories, which is my next book. I'm in the old system, and I was very angry when I got my first big check. When I first saw the check, it was $300. And I thought, oh, well, that's nice. I've only got six books out, so $800 is pretty good. And then I found out how much I'd actually earned the next day, <laughs> which was $8,000. Right. And to say, to say I was angry would be an understatement. Because <laughs> all these people are doing are hosting my stories. That's it. That's the extent of what they're doing for me. And yet they're getting all the money and I'm getting $800 out of $8,000. Oh, I was so angry. <laughs> yeah, I remember you posting. <laughs> oh, my God. Would have hurt someone if, if someone from their office had come to me, you know. I anyway, this next book, The Gangbang Stories, it will be on the new system, and I'll, I should be getting 50% of the deal, so... And it'll be available, of course, through Amazon, through Audible.com, yeah. and through iTunes. Yeah. And why did you decide not to voice them yourself? I have no acting ability, and since being over here in America, people have had trouble understanding what I'm saying because of my accent. So I decided to leave it to the professionals. And you have provided us with a sample to listen to today. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit where it's from? It's from uh, Hell's Gate. It's the very first chapter of Hell's Gate. Okay. So I would really like to thank you for joining me today. It was really a wonderful conversation. Thank you for having me. And the opportunity to finally get a chance to talk to you after you've had such a large influence on my life. Really, I mean, without you, I would not be doing what I'm doing, and I'm actually happier now than I've ever been probably at any point in my life. That's oh, nice to hear. See, that's what makes it worthwhile for me, that sort of comment. And for the listeners, here is an excerpt of Carl East's great book, Hell's Gate. 
The sky was layered with shades of gray as they drove to the abandoned Blackwood estate. Doug and Courtney had been working as a team these last five years on locations that were haunted or possessed. Her reputation as the foremost psychic in the New England area had been built upon each property that had been cleansed of its afterlife inhabitants. Her ability to free a residence from these disturbing and sometimes frightening elements allowed the living to return and resume their lives. Courtney glanced over to watch her stoic business partner as he steered them along the seemingly endless dreary roads. His silence confirmed that he was already mentally preparing for the job that was waiting ahead. She reflected back to the day they literally bumped into each other. The library was bustling, and the amount of books she carried had prevented her from seeing him coming around the corner. The impact had sent them both crashing to the hard floor, along with the various items they'd been carrying. Her laughter and his wryness were the blend that brought them together to form a friendship that had deepened over time. He became the brother that she never had. It was his leadership in the day-to-day tasks of their fellows in Fairbanks' partnership, which kept them on a steady and profitable course. He was the acknowledged anchor of the team with regard to finances. However, her psychic abilities opened the way to money-making opportunities. She silently watched his steady hands on the wheel and smiled when he glanced her way. Doug, the information we've gathered from the courthouse records revealed how often the property has changed hands. Last night, I read the newspaper accounts of the murders that occurred at the house. Therefore, I can understand why there have been so many owners. However, the few neighbors that I was able to track down could only recount old rumors and speculation about the house. They gave me nothing that was conclusive. He nodded in reply and indicated by a point of his head that they'd arrived at their destination. Hold on, he said, and gritted his teeth as he slowly maneuvered the car over the debris covering the entrance to the driveway. Dodging fallen limbs and piles of wind-swept leaves, he maneuvered the car to the remnants of a once-grand entrance. They both fell silent as they contemplated the scene before them through the windshield. The newspaper photographs, faded with time, did not reveal the true nature of the house that they had researched. The darkened bricks were covered with crawling ivy. The parade of windows that marched down the front facade of the house was covered with the crust of years. At least, most of the windows still had glass. The ones without had the appearance of eyeless sockets. Their gaze continued to the roof, where soot-covered chimneys loomed. This house has not aged well, Doug stated, as he jumped from the car and walked around to her door. Courtney forced herself to leave the safety of the car, and immediately the hairs on the back of her neck rose as she faced the main entrance. The arched wooden doors were massive and covered with an intricate design that had grayed over the years. Cracks had formed in the weathered panels at the bottom of the doors, and the metal lock appeared black. The key, given to her by the current owners, was stored in her purse. The local college owned the property and had sent the key to their office for their use. It was polished brass and quite large, as keys in those days were considered a work of art. As she took it out, Doug reached for it. I'll open the door, Courtney. Why don't you take a moment to clear your mind before we start working? He said, 
and then ran up the crumbling steps. And when he tried to insert the key, the door slowly creaked open. He turned in surprise. The door's unlocked. Opening the door completely, he peered inside. Courtney climbed the steps, eased around him, and entered the foyer. She watched as dust motes filled the air around her. Looking back over her shoulder, she saw Doug silently watching her. His obvious concern gave her the strength to head for the room that was the primary spot of the disturbances. The essence of evil pervaded the room, but she kept her feelings to herself. Doug gently placed his hand on her shoulder. Can you sense anything, Courtney? Hush, I'm not sure how to describe it just yet, she replied as she headed slowly over to the fireplace. The stillness of the room was at war with what her psychic senses were starting to pick up. He watched as she lifted her hands and closed her eyes, knowing that he shouldn't disturb her concentration. With her eyes closed, Courtney began to see what only her psychic senses could reveal. A young girl appeared directly in front of her, beside a large mahogany desk. The polished wood acted like a mirror and reflected her image in the surface. From her viewpoint, Courtney judged her to be about nineteen, possibly younger. The desktop reflected only a profile of her face, but it appeared to be attractive. A sense of dread overcame Courtney as she witnessed an elderly man enter the room and walk a path to the girl. Remove your clothing, he commanded as he reached the desk and commandeered the throne-like chair. Courtney watched as the young girl raised her arms. Her motions indicated that she was starting to undo the buttons that held the lace blouse together. With each opened button, the desktop revealed more creamy skin and the cleavage of a large bust. Her youthful breasts were held by a sheer bra that caressed the curves it supported. The blouse fell away as if in slow motion. Her hands then appeared in the back as she unfastened the hooks that held her breasts in place. It too dropped to the ground, to be discarded with the blouse before it. Her breasts swung freely as she reached to her side and unfastened her skirt, allowing it to pool at her feet. Stepping out of the skirt and shoes, she stood almost naked, except for the panties that covered her womanhood. Placing both thumbs under the hem, she slid them down and off, and then stood before the desk as if at attention. Very good. You never once hesitated, and for that you are to be commended, said the elderly man sitting back in his chair. His face was flushed with excitement. When the master comes, he will expect nothing less of you but total obedience. If you please him, you will be well rewarded. He waved his wrinkled hand, indicating that she should get dressed now, and she did so with an expressionless face. Again, I'd like to thank Carl East for joining me today. You can find his books at Amazon, iTunes, Barnes & Noble, and his audiobooks at Audible and wherever audiobooks are sold. Finally, would you like to know what type of erotica reader you are? As a special treat for our listeners, we at Sounds Erotic have created a free erotica personality quiz that will help you figure out what type of erotica reader you are. Go to soundseroticpodcast.com, take the quiz, and get books based on your exact erotica personality type. 
It's fun and kind of hot. Thank you again for joining me, Alex Anders, and please join me next time on Sounds Erotic.